Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, I just want to let you know about an amazing company, an amazing product that we use in our home every day. The company is Ballish Woodwork. It is owned by my friend Kurt Ballish. He makes homemade woodworks. And for my wife, which you know I love and adore, last Mother's Day, I got her a homemade cutting board made by Kurt and is the only cutting board that we will use in our home. So if you guys love homemade woodwork and you would love to make a piece maybe for your wife, maybe a chessboard, maybe something special for your home, Definitely check out BalishWoodworks.com. Tell them that Richard and Vertical Momentum sent you guys. Have an amazing day. Remember, Vertical Momentum, the only way to go is but up. To another episode of Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be a great episode. And guys, if you are a guy and you're listening to this, you need to get a pen and paper because she's going to be dropping some knowledge bombs about how to get better in life from the boardroom to the bedroom. We're talking about relationships and I'm always willing to learn about relationships because I always try to learn how to be a better husband. So this is going to be great for me. Guys, this young lady we'll be talking to, she's a clinically trained mental health special therapist, relationship coach, speaker, author. She does it all. And I'm so grateful she decided to come on our show. How are you doing this morning, Courtney? I'm doing fantastic, Richard. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's it's my pleasure because, you know, I have, uh, we have a lot of veterans that listen to the show and a lot of CEOs. And it seems that a lot of them, I mean, obviously the divorce rate in America is uh, like 50% or something right. like that. But when you get into the military, uh, law enforcement officers, mm-hmm. first responders, it gets up to like 70 or 80 percent. So if we can just head off some of that stuff at the pass today, I think that would be a great start. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about, you know, where you're from and, and how you got into, into what interested you into doing this and helping people and couples um, get their lives together. Yeah, so I'm originally from Seattle, Washington. Um, I was born and raised uh, just south of Seattle in a very small town. Well, it's not so small now, but it's uh, Maple Valley, Washington. And um, I grew up with my sister. Um, I'm the oldest. And my dad was actually uh, a police officer for the first five or so years of my life. And then he actually went into his own private investigation business. So growing up, my parents, uh, my mom helped my dad part-time with um, that business. And it was really just an interesting outlook um, on the world when you are a kiddo and your dad is this really six foot four, 300 pound large man. And he is an expert in child sexual abuse investigations. And so when I was about 14, I started working for him and um, which, you know, probably wasn't a great choice on his part for some of the stuff I was exposed to, but it gave me a lot of good life skills and um, really exposed me to this uh, world of sexual dysfunction and sexual brokenness um, and just a lot of just sadness and a lot of dysfunction. And so then I thought I was going to be a lawyer, uh, went to school, um, went to undergrad and was majoring in pre-law. And I took a class and read a book and <clears throat> called The Women's Room, and it totally changed my life. And so I decided that, gosh, I want to study sexuality instead. And maybe if we can help by educating people on um, their bodies, on, um, you know, preventing sexual abuse, helping couples communicate about this stuff, that we can really reduce the risk of people having to be investigated for these atrocious things. And so I went to school, got a master's in education in human sexuality and worked as a sexuality educator for a while. And then while I was doing that, I realized how much people wanted to talk to me about their problems. And I just wasn't 
qualified to help them. So I went back to school and got another master's in mental health counseling and opened up my own mental health and sex therapy practice. And I did that for a little while. Um, my husband's in the military. And so we received orders to move from Washington state to Texas. And I had just given birth to our third kiddo and decided that um, I was going to stay at home with my newborn two-year-old and four-year-old and um, just do some consulting work. So I did that for uh, three years while we were in Texas. We moved again. And then when we were in North Carolina um, at Fort Bragg, I decided to switch over to the coaching industry um, because it doesn't have any licensure requirements. So I didn't have to constantly be worrying about, oh, well, I have to get a supervisor. Will I have to apply for this license and these fees and sit for this test? And and it's kind of just been history since. <laughs> okay, then I got a couple questions. Sure. I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. You know, you know, especially your father was was a police officer mm-hmm. up for five years, and then he um, went into special investigations, seeing things that normal human beings should not see. Mm-hmm. Um, how did did he have any um, issues with? Uh, post-traumatic stress or anything like that? Yeah. You know, and that's such a great question, Richard, because that is actually one of the reasons why I have um, really started to like shift my ideal client is what we call it. Um, You know, people who I'm not targeting, but those are the like my ideal clients. Those are the ones that I really want to help for probably about two years ago, my ideal mom or my ideal client was stay at home moms and just who were really overwhelmed and exhausted and just needed to help process and some tools and stuff. And I, and I loved it. And then um, the more I've been digging into some of the stuff from my dad passed away uh, four and a half years ago, and it totally changed my life. And it wasn't until recently, probably about six months ago that I realized that I want to help people like my dad, who was an amazing man who came from a really, really tough childhood um, and wanted to be part of the solution, became a police officer, was exposed to tremendous amounts of PTSD there. And then also in his job as an investigator and some of those things and just didn't have the skills and tools and wasn't encouraged by anyone in his field to seek out that, that help to process these major traumas. And so that's really, um, his experience with PTSD has really shaped um, the work that I want to do. Okay. Now another question I have to ask, Okay. Um, you know, because I'm retired military, mm-hmm. um, your husband military. Yes. And, you know, sometimes like you know, I've been involved with mental health now as an advocate for the last 10 or 12 years, but you know, like um, I'm always helping other people, but about a month, a month and a half ago, my, we, you know, we got three kids homeschooling, mm-hmm. he being blind, she takes care of me and she's, and she broke down one day and she says, you know, you try to take care of everybody else, but you're not taking care of the person that's sitting across the kitchen table from you. Mm-hmm. And it really, really affected me mm-hmm. uh, to make that change to start thinking, you know, I have to start, you know, taking care of the family and then everything else will emanate out you know, instead of working outside in. Right. Having a husband in the military talk to us about, you know, because being a military spouse, you know, like when you when he gets deployed, um, you're doing the same amount of time. You're doing a deployment also. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) It's at home and you're taking on the responsibility of mother, father, bankroll. You know, you do it all. Mm-hmm. Talk to us what it's like to be a military spouse and then worrying about your own husband's mental health. Yeah. So I'm a pretty independent person. Um, so do, and my husband's been, um, you know, gone, you know, for a fair amount of stints here, but hadn't faced this long of a deployment before. And so he received orders last year and um, we're currently stationed in Germany. Um, so borders shut down of March last year. I'm in Germany. And so my hopes of family coming to help (laughs) while his set, he was only supposed to have like a six month deployment and then it got extended. And um, I think that was really tough, you know, like knowing that you have help and that there's like these little blips of hope and excitement and more so for the kids, you know, like I can stay busy with work and 
friends and stuff. Obviously, I miss my husband dearly, but that was really a lot to manage because I, I have three kids. They're 8, 10, and 12. And, you know, they're old enough to understand and have emotions. And not that little kiddos don't, but like to, you know, convey their frustrations. Like, wh why can't we get a hold of dad? Why is the internet connection so bad? Why, like, why haven't we hurt, you know? And so having to manage their, you know, uh, mental health on top of my own. And, you know, I, I was really grateful for a lot of the skills and tools that I have and that I'm able to teach my clients. Because gosh, I it, it would have been really difficult had I not been in the right mental state to um, handle that deployment. But now what's it like, you know, when your husband does come on? You know, because like a lot of times, like if you're in a health field or fitness field mm -hmm. and, you know, you're around somebody, you start looking for signs of, you know, PTS or anything like that. So what's that kind of like when he comes home and you start searching for signs? Is, is he okay? You know, yeah. a lot, a lot, like a lot of guys, you know, especially military guys, you know, we won't talk to anybody mm -hmm. unless it's our guys. Right. Know, oh, absolutely. You know, like even in the military, they have, you know, I mean, in the uh, police department, they got that thin blue line. I think mm -hmm. the military has that thin green line. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so what is it like when, because I know when he comes home, you start looking, is, is he okay? Is he struggling? Because I know he's, he's not going to talk to me about it. So what's that like? Yeah. So he is, he's medical. So he's in a little um, of an interesting field because he, he's, um, he's a pulmonary critical care physician. So he deals with like ICU people. So he sees death a lot. Um, and he's, I remember when we were, he was first starting out um, as a doctor. Gosh, I, it was really tough to sign like six death certificates within, you know, a five day period and you're like 28 years old, you know, like it's just having people's lives in your hands. Like it was. And so thankfully he had really great mentors um, in residency when we were at um, Madigan Army Medical Center. And so being aware of that PTSD stuff now, um, I'm really keen on his body language. So, so much of PTSD and just trauma in general gets stuck in our body when we don't process it. And so people don't realize it, but just even like the way that they walk, the way that they like sit down, how their shoulders can kind of like slump in and come, come together, how maybe they're fidgeting with their hands or they're completely dissociated and just like checked out. So I, I look for a lot of like the, um, the nonverbal stuff, a lot of the body language, um, you know, how does he respond when I touch his shoulder or, or things like that? Um, he's not a super talkative person. And so, um, thankfully though, we do have really open communication, but for me, I've been able to really gauge really well. And, and I, you know, he knows that I'm clinically able to like, Hey, this is things that I'm concerned about and we need to talk about this. And this isn't something that like has needs to be, or can be avoided. You know, and I love, I, I, I love, and I appreciate that. Because, um, like, about six years ago, or seven, now it's about seven, when I first started helping veterans that were struggling, like me, with PTSD and depression and alcoholism, all that mm -hmm. good stuff, um, we went to go see that movie, uh, American Sniper, with Chris Kyle. Oh, uh-huh. And, you know, everybody got something out of it. Every, you know, everybody got, you know, the whole killing thing. What really touched me when he was just sitting in his chair watching the blank TV. Mm -hmm. and, and being disassociated, his mind was somewhere else when his body was home. Right. Absolutely. You know, so talk to us, you know, if you're a family member, you know, husband, wife, because, you know, a lot of now I'm talking to a lot of, you know, females, that, veterans. Mm -hmm. And it was actually uh, Women Veterans Day the other day. So shout out to all my women. Yeah. <clears throat> and a lot of times they have to deal with, like I have a, a couple friends in it. Her name is Tam her name is Tammy Moses and uh, another young lady her name is Annette Wittenberger. And when she was in the first when she was a child, she dealt with sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. And then she joins the military and has to deal with military sexual trauma. Ugh. So sometimes a lot of females and not only females, but men, I'm sorry, I should say, um, you know, not only are they dealing with military war stuff. Mm -hmm. got to deal with military sexual trauma. Right. 
you know, and I think sometimes it's hard for people to talk about that, especially for guys, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. a guy on his name was Paul and uh, Paul Aiken's a good friend of mine now. And he, we, he, we were never supposed to talk about this, but he, he, he was on my show and we started talking about trauma and he revealed that, you know, he was sexually abused by a priest oh. age eight to 18. Oh my gosh. And he never told anybody before. It was wow. the first time it was on live on my show. Oh my gosh. But, but afterwards he said, you know, it was so freeing. Oh. Now we start helping other people that amazing. are doing the same thing. That's so, amazing. Like I said, I have so, so many ways a conversation can go, but mm-hmm. how does, you know, well, first we'll just talk about uh, just regular trauma. So how, if, if a husband or a wife, what are some of the signs that they can look for of, like you said, you know, somebody's dealing with a, a post-traumatic stress? Yeah. I mean, you're like hypervigilance is the number one is, you know, that jumpiness, um, the paranoia. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I haven't diagnosed anyone in like over a decade just because I've moved away from the medical model. Um, but those are the two big things. Um, insomnia, recurring nightmares, um, weight loss, weight gain, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, just an inability to like have healthy relationships so that you aren't like just going zero to 60 from like, you know, flat affect to now I'm in a rage, um, flashbacks or another symptom. Um, it, so much of it is internal, you know, and usually family members will see the blowups or the, the disc, you know, the disconnect of like, I don't know where they are. I don't know where they go. Um, I don't know why he's so, or she's so mad at me all the time. I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. You know, like those are all like pretty blatant signs of, of trauma. Okay. Now, like I said, I've interviewed now, now up to like 300 interviews so far. Mm -hmm. I've interviewed, you know, a lot of psychologists, psychiatrists, and a lot of veterans and first responders. And one of the things that comes up a lot is, you know, a husband or wife will get deployed safer well now it's i think it's i think it's less than 12 months now but but in the beginning you know a lot of people are being deployed 16 18 months two years Mm -hmm. and you know if they have small children and then they come home and they try to fit back into the family yeah and they don't feel they're like you know because the you know the the wife or the husband that was at home you know they're paying all the bills they're they're taking care Mm -hmm. of home and they just feel like they don't have a space. Right. And they try to fit back in and it doesn't work out that great. Right. So somebody do, you know, if they've been deployed overseas for a while and then they come home. So what, how do they reintegrate back into the family? Yeah. I think that the best way to start the reintegration process is before the deployment begins. So what I see with a lot of <clears throat> couples is, if the relationship is not doing well before a deployment, a deployment will absolutely blow it up. So it's not the relation, these relationships most of the time do not magically dissolve because a deployment came and they were doing so great before. It's usually like lots of dysfunction, lots of codependency or complete withdrawal, right? It's, it's usually one or the other. And then they have this uh, deployment one partner completely just checks out and um, has no idea how to communicate. They're dealing with their own abandonment issues. They probably have a history of trauma themselves. And so that's triggering, you know, to be left and not to have these, this partner with you anymore. Um, So I cannot emphasize it enough how important communication before deployment. I mean, it's just so critical being able to talk about expectations for communication you know, different scenarios of, okay, so I think I'm going to this place and I think I'll be able to talk to you about once a week or every day. Um, How are you going to manage who's your support while I'm gone? So I know that it's not the partner's, you know, quote, responsibility to make sure that their their partner back home is taken care of. But it's, if you're a teammate, you know, right, you want to look out for your team member. And so if you're in a marriage or relationship with someone, like you guys are on the same team. So it's really important that you are making sure that they have a support system set up. They have mental health resources. 
There's a lot of great um, stuff usually on base and FRG, at least for the Army, so that making sure that they're connected and that their mental health has some outlets and some skills and tools. Um, really communicating hard before, like right before they come home. So what can I do to show you how much we loved and missed you? Um, we, the person, right, returning from the deployment and the person receiving, you know, the person from the deployment, both have incredible amount of expectations of how that reintegration is going to go. It is so imperative to discuss that and to ask for and advocate for what you need. Because we get mad at each other for not reading each other's mind and, oh, well, I thought you wanted this or I thought you wanted this. Well, you never asked me. You never asked me. I hear that a lot. And so giving ourselves permission to ask our partners for what they need and also giving ourselves permission to advocate for what we need. You know, and, and I, I totally agree. And, you know, I, I was just thinking, you know, I've seen it so many times where, say, a, a husband would or even a wife would be away on a 16th month deployment, come home and there's nobody to greet them at the, when yeah. they go. Yeah. And it seems like it just, and that's when the, the proverbial shit hits the fan at that right, point. Right, right. You know, but then, you know, like, I, I, I have so many questions Um, and I appreciate <laughs> you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for um, having me. It's, it's because, you know, this, I think relationships are everything. You know, my bride, you know, she's my, I, we've been together. Well, she knows me third over sh- shit, almost 40 years. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I call her my bride and, you know, mm-hmm. she, you know she's my everything. She's my rock. <sighs> but, uh, you know, been been through two divorces, you know, and, and now I've been in recovery now 30, 32 years. I've been sober. Awesome. That's amazing. And a lot of times, you know, like we would say in the rooms, you know, if you've been through eight or 10 different relationships, you're the common denominator. You're the problem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. So, you know, there's some people out there, I think that are relationship, you know, they're, they're good to have relationships, but then there's a lot of people out there that, that you know, are narcissists, you know, it's all mm-hmm. about them. And, you know, you can't be, I think you cannot be in a relationship if you're thinking it's, it's all about you. Absolutely. So what happens if a person, you know, wants to decide, you know what, I want to get into a healthy relationship, but all I've seen my whole life is healthy relationships. You know, how, where, do, where do they go? Do they start reading books by like Melody Beattie, you know, codependent no more stuff like that? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, yeah, because we model or we mirror what we're modeled. So if we grew up with incredibly dysfunctional relationship, if we grew up with people screaming and throwing and hitting, that's how you express conflict, then of course you are going to lack those tools in your toolbox to effectively handle conflict and communicate effectively. And so, yeah, I think just going through the self-help book department and just like, what stands out to me? Do I want it to be faith-based? Do I want it to be from a man, from a woman? There are so many courses online that are really, really affordable. I don't know if the military offers any um, specific classes on like communication or, and I'm sure they do like anger management and stuff, but yeah, in order to be an effect, like a a healthy partnership, you need to be a healthy partner. And so, so often we like to point the finger at, well, it's their fault. They need to change, blah, blah, blah. And really like so much of the relationship could be improved without the the other person doing a single thing. Um, So just being willing to be introspective and say, okay, so what do I need to, what do I want to work on? And not feeling super overwhelmed because it, it can be really easy to be like, well, I can't do this. I'm terrible at this. I'm shitty at this. You know, like you just, I got trauma from this. Like, I don't even know where to begin. Um, I know Military One Source has, um, like, I think they have free counseling. Um, it just really depends on your goal. There's different modalities. That's a fancy word. Um, so different approaches depending on the results you want to get. You know, and, and I, and I, I totally agree, you know, like, 
because I try to divorce proof my marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'm always trying to be a better partner, be a better husband. Um, so I do the love there uh-huh. every couple months. So I've done it like 10, 12 times. Mm. But, um, you know, I think a lot of guys or guys or girls, you know, they don't want to do the work until it gets too, too late in the game. You know, like mm-hmm. I had lunch with Pastor T.D. Jakes a couple years ago, and he told me that if you if you don't date your wife, another man will. Mm, mm-hmm. So, you know, talk to us, you know, because like, when we're, you know, we're, we're all dating, you know, guys were like, oh, you know, we're trying to catch our prey, you mm-hmm. know, our, our wives, our girlfriends, and we're trying to do everything we can to swoon them and, you know, make them fall in love with us. And then when we get it, we're like, all right. And then that's it. You know, mm-hmm. we stop coming the um opening the car doors start you know that stop mm-hmm. so talk to us about you know keeping that relationship going even if you're in 10 12 15 years of marriage tell or tell us how to rekindle that relationship again yeah that's a great question so i think i've been married for 16 years so i absolutely get how um <laughs> that desire to keep things rekindled because uh, you're like, oh man, you've been here for a while, haven't you? Like, I swear, like I've been waking up with you for quite some time. Um, so one, being aware that it is absolutely normal for that lust and the romance to, to die off, to fade. Um, our brains just cannot handle that you know, like the first few months and few years, it's all exciting. And you're like the fMRIs that are done on brains that are in love, like initially in love are the same that are on cocaine. Like it's just the exact same uh, uh, receptors light up on the functional MRIs. It's crazy. And just like, that's why when people say love is blind, you're like, yeah, it is, (laughs) you know, because people just cannot hear you when they are so in to this other person. But the brain can't sustain that. And so eventually that wears off and you have the choice of, do I want to continue into what's called a sustained love, a sustained relationship? And knowing that it's normal because we want that security and that predictability. Those are things that our brain absolutely loves and craves. Knowing that though, we, in order to create some erotic energy or uh, spark, whatever you want to call it, there's so many different things you can do. Um, a really easy thing is create, like find things that interest you and bring you joy. That is one of the sexiest things is to see your partner feeling like they have a purpose and they enjoy something that has nothing to do with you. Right? Like I, I love knowing that my husband is phenomenal in his field. He's got this whole other life that he's absolutely welcomed me into. I don't understand a thing about it, but it's still like, like this mystery, you know, and like, Ooh, I want to know this or, Ooh, I want to understand this. And that is seductive. So I would, there's a lot of things you can do for you. And then also knowing what your partner's love language is. Um, you know, I'm, have you talked about that on your show before the five love languages? Actually, no. So oh my I, gosh. Because before my show used to be just total military. Ah, uh, okay. Branching out to authors and all different people. So that's why I think this is a great conversation. And like Yay. I said, and I, and I only have a ninth grade education. You know, I'm only ninth grade formerly education, but I'm getting a master uh, MBA every day that I have my show. Because I could have experts on like you. I love it. And yes. ask them any questions that I want to ask without having to pay for a therapist. I know. That's fantastic. <laughs> you're, you're doing it the smart way. Good so, for you. So, so what are the five love languages? So the five love languages, it is a book by um, Dr. Gary Chapman. And it is actually a book that I give as a wedding gift for every couple. Every wedding I go to, that is what you will get from me because it is one of the easiest ways to help communicate effectively in a relationship. So the five love languages are ways that we feel loved and ways that we show love to others. And typically they're not the same. So for me, my love language is um, I do like uh, acts of service like that. I am all about 
if you need help, I will be there, bring a meal. You need to clean your house, right? Get it done. That is how I show my, that's my primary. And then you get it ranked in order. My last one is probably quality time. Guess which one my husband's number one love language is. He feels most love with quality time. And so that was a really big challenge at the beginning of our marriage because I would be like, I cleaned the house for you. I made your lunch. I, you know, did your dry clean, whatever it is. And he's like, I just want you to sit down and watch a movie with me, or I just want to sit and talk with you. But we were speaking two different languages because that wasn't filling his cup, his love cup. And I thought it was. And then I was getting frustrated because I felt like I was showing him that, but it wasn't. So five love languages are quality time, physical touch, uh, words of affirmation, uh, acts of service and gifts. And again, you can feel loved one way um, and show love another. So I feel loved when people do tell like words of affirmation, right? They tell me things about myself or about the things that I've done. And I show people through acts of service. This can change depending on your season of life. When I became a mom, acts of service absolutely became the number one way that I felt loved, but before it was not. So if you haven't taken the quiz, it's free online. Um, it's a phenomenal book. They have like the five love languages for the military, for the for the kids, for the single parent, I think. I don't, it, it's like a whole franchise. <laughs> you know, and I just, me, me and a friend of mine were just talking about this on, on, on Saturday, actually. No, Sunday. We were actually just sitting there talking about how, you know, our, our you know, like my wife has certain love language like you talk about. Mm-hmm. I have a certain love language, you know, because like for me, I was growing up uh, as an abused child. So I didn't have I didn't feel that that love. So I, I'm the kind of guy mm-hmm. I liked it, that huggy, touchy, mm-hmm. um, t- telling you I love you, you know, and, and my wife isn't because she didn't grow up that way. Right. But I think a lot of times if you I, I was interviewing a friend of mine, his name is Daniel Faust, and he's the one actually he actually named this show. So I got to give him props, but Aww. he's a relationship, him and his wife, you know, that's what they do. And, you know, they talk about how, you know, there's a difference between, you know, listening and hearing. Absolutely. You know, like if you watch, like I'm, I'm old, I'm 52 now, but <laughs> You're um, not old. back, back in, you know, in the early sixties, fifties, they would always show the father holding the newspaper. And the kids would talk to him and he would never look down over the newspaper. And I think that's a lot of problems. You know, I struggled with that, too. You know, like if my my wife would say, you know, she would like say, even if we're in the same room and I'm looking at my phone or whatever. And um, she would say something to me. I would never look up from the phone. But now I'm trying to, you know, put the phone down, look in her eyes, you know, make eye contact, you know, listen to what she's actually saying instead Mm -hmm. of just hearing it. So talk to us about communication between two people. Yeah. So I think it's really easy for us to um, want to be heard, both as a listener and a speaker, which is ironic because you as yourself, you're like, well, I want them to listen to what I'm saying. And yet we don't offer that same grace and that same consideration to the person speaking. So I think just being aware of that internal Like, am I getting ready to make a rebuttal or am I getting ready to insert like, oh, okay, but and then just like word vomit all over them? Or am I actually absorbing what they are paying attention to? I think that's just a really having that self-awareness is so important. And it's it's gosh, it's funny to watch sometimes. I mean, it's not funny, but, you know, like you're like, oh, man, these people like I always can tell a person who just really feels like they're not seen and they're not heard because they are the worst listeners. Like they are constantly trying to talk and they're constantly, okay, okay. But this, oh yeah. Oh, me too. And then blah, blah, blah. Like they don't, it's not a conversation. It's like a dissertation. And um, so just being aware of, gosh, like I want to model what that active listener looks like. And I want to model what respectful communication is. And so in order to do that, I need to be ready to listen. And if I'm finding that, oh, that need of like, but I want to talk, I want to talk. Where am I not getting that need met in my own life? And should I work like hire a therapist or 
somebody that I can literally talk for an hour, you know, and feel better about myself. And I, you know, I, I totally appreciate that, you know, and I think, you know, once you become self-aware, you know, they say self-awareness is an is an MFR, um, you know, because once you become self-aware, you kind of start thinking, all right, maybe I should be doing this. Maybe I should, like, I realize that if I do something stupid in my house, which I do all the time, um, and my wife corrects me for it, my automatic, um, whatever it is, mm-hmm. to lash, lash out and, you know, make a, a snide remark instead of saying and thinking about it and say, you know what, mm-hmm. honey, you're right, you know, that was dumb of me and I, and I apologize. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about, you know, coming to realizations, you know, that eventually like I tell everybody, I did a video the other day. I do a video every day called mm. minute. Um, but it's, if you don't appreciate what you have, you're going to, one day you're going to miss what you had, mm-hmm. you know? So talk to us about making sure that, you know, your partner feels heard when you're talking to them and you know and how does a person like myself that has will automatically snap back with a smart smart ass comment mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden we're in a full-blown war over something that was just very minute if i would have just said you know what honey you're right mm-hmm. um and then talk about it do you, do you see that a lot where you know it could be something small and then because somebody says something stupid it just blows up and it becomes like this big, big thunderstorm. Oh, absolutely. I see that all the time. And it's funny because when I used to work with couples, they, <laughs> I would, for example, the husband would come, they come into my office and the husband would be like, I don't get it. I like walk in home from work and I ask her like, Hey honey, what's for dinner? And she totally blows up, blows up at me. And he's like, I have no idea. Like what, like I didn't even say it in a rude way. And so what I would say is like, uh, I know you can't see me, but like my hands, I'm using my hand. I use my hands a lot when I talk, but um, there's the issue like, and then right below that is what's, what it's really about. And so usually what happens is we have these surface level and not that surface level means um, like art, uh, superficial per se, like, oh, like this is such a fun day. And I'm like, so great right now. It's not that kind of superficial, but superficial, like, Hey, how are the kids? Oh, they're good. Oh, like, uh, how, how's the dog? Yeah, he's good. Like that kind of superficial conversations. And so what happens is there's these issues and it's typically resentment and frustration and conflict that's gone unresolved. And then even our own insecurities of like, oh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling just really bad about my body right now, or I'm feeling frustrated with my boss at work, or I'm really pissed that, you know, Johnny got left out of the, you know, birthday party, whatever it is. And so we have all of this brewing. And then what happens is we get these like little, like surface level scratches is kind of like what I like to call it. And then it just scratches a little bit too much. And now we're bleeding because we are, all that other stuff is coming up. And so then we're not really fighting about the dog or what's for dinner or why your socks are on the floor. We're fighting about, I'm, I feel unappreciated. I'm, I feel, you know, overworked. I feel stressed out. I feel I'm exhausted, whatever those things are, but we don't feel safe enough to express those concerns. And I, and I can totally get that. And so I, I seen something the other day. It said no woman ever yelled at her husband for cleaning up the house. It's hard to ever get into an argument with a man that's cleaning the house. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. My uncle, you know, he died as a, he was a multimillionaire. But one thing that he always said, you know, that woman, you know, cleaning the house is not a woman's chore, you know, a woman's job. It's, it's both, both person's job. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times, you know, we think, you know, we're, we're too macho to do ditches or, but sometimes like, you know, now I'm starting to think about it. That might be part of the love language where you know they see okay he may not do it perfectly but he's trying to help out oh yeah instead of just coming home and popping on the popping a beer and sitting on the couch and watching a football game you know maybe you do the laundry or you know vacuum or clean the toilet 
Oh, yeah. And that is one of the biggest turn ons for women, especially moms. You know, people ask me like, well, how can I get my wife more interested in sex or my female partner more interested in sex? And I'm like, here's like foreplay. And I'm not talking foreplay like on I'm talking like in between what happens between this episode in the bedroom and the next episode, because everything that's happens in between that's foreplay you helping out, you being attentive, you listening, you being intentional. Those are little like deposits into her love bank or into that person's love bank that is makes it so much easier to go from exhausted, overwhelmed mom to like excited, engaged, you know, person. Okay. You know, I've also, you know, obviously now I've been trying to study my wife, you know, and, and I, I, and of course I'll never get know her fully, you know, but I try to find out, you know, what makes, you know, relationships work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I find that like a lot of, I love watching older people, you know, mm. you know, and I love how, you know, even though they're 70, 80 years old, they still hold hands. Mm-hmm. They, he still kisses her. I know. You know, and I think that if your children see you, you know, a man kissing their wife, mm-hmm. you know, they see that, you know, that that's how they should be treated. You know, like I tell my daughter every day, you know, honey, I love you, you know, and I kiss her on her forehead. I said, you're beautiful. And I think that a lot of times, I mean, I've heard from you know, a lot of people that when a male or female at teenagers become, you know, outrageous and promiscuous is because of the, the love that they didn't feel at home. Mm-hmm. Am I going wrong on the right track? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we seek right what we don't we never had, um, but it doesn't always show up that easily. So sometimes it will. So if we didn't get that attention and we didn't get that love and encouragement, you know, it, it's not meeting that basic need for us. We may not go out and look for it in other people. We may go seek it in drugs or alcohol or food because those make us feel better. Okay. So now how can somebody, um, I know you have a free giveaway and we're going to talk about that, but talk to us. We know, I know you're an author. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about some of your writings. Yeah. So, I mean, I just write for a lot of like military. Um, I've been featured in Parents Magazine. Um, I just kind of write uh, on parenting and sometimes on sexuality, on relationships, on uh, overcoming trauma. So I haven't written a book yet. It's not officially in the works. I keep meaning to do it. Um, But I write a lot for military, you know, magazines and blogs and stuff. Um, So then how do we find you? Yeah. So I am on social media at Courtney Boyer coaching. And then um, my website right now is the steppingstonescoach.com. I'm going to go through a rebrand this summer and everything will switch over to Courtney Boyer coaching. But for right now, that is where you can find me or you can where find me where Richard found me on LinkedIn um, at Courtney Boyer coaching. So now they can get a free self coaching guide. Yeah. Yeah. So if you go to the steppingstonescoach.com backslash free guide and you just drop in your email and we will send you a free guide. And it is actually the guide is inspired by my dad. He was one of the wisest, most intuitive people I ever met. And he knew exactly how to ask the right questions. And that's really what this guide is about. It's about empowering you and equipping you with seven questions that you can ask yourself in pretty much any situation to self-coach and work through frustration, overwhelm, exhaustion, anger, you name it. All right. So guys, definitely check that out. All right. So the last question that I ask everybody, and you know, I love asking it because I ask a thousand people and I get a thousand different. Oh, right. Okay. You know, we live in a crazy world. We're still uh, COVID um, Mm -hmm. in New Jersey. You know, we have a lot of people that lost jobs. So they're Mm. driving Uber or DoorDash just to put food in their kid's mouth. 
you know, we got grandkids, homeschooling kids. Mm-hmm. So if I ask the average American to do something in seven days, they're likely not to get to that. Mm-hmm. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. Mm-hmm. So if there's somebody out there, whether they're a veteran, whether they're a first responder, whether they're a CEO, and they're struggling mm-hmm. in their relationships, and they know that if I don't get on the right track, we're heading for divorce. Mm-hmm. What is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start the right the ship? Ooh, that's a really great question. I would say to take personal responsibility. Um, that's the first thing that comes to mind. To, to owning my actions in the situation that I'm in. And knowing that it's not my my partner, my mom, my kids, like where I'm at is because of my choices and where, right? That doesn't mean that there's not ex- external circumstances that contr- contributed to it, right? Absolutely, that, that matters. But being able to take personal responsibility and say, this is where I'm at, Where do, what is my first next step? What is my first next step? Do I need to make a phone call to meet with a counselor? Do I need to hire a coach? Do I need to go to the the library, right? You can go and get free books there. Um, Do I need to go, um, and they have like audio books too. So all different kinds of learning styles. Do I need to go take a course? Like who, what is that first next step? Because I totally agree. This idea of, oh my gosh, like I, I can't, you know, like overhaul my entire marriage or my family, like that just, that seems so big and so far away. And absolutely never do that. Start with that very first step and say, okay. And really what I love for people to do is to close their eyes, take a really deep breath and ask that question to themselves. And I really believe whether you call it God or your higher self or the Holy spirit, um, where you tune in and ask like, what is that next first step? Like, where do I, what do I need to do? And it is amazing how we are spoken to what the messages that we receive. If you ask, I really believe that you'll receive it. Okay. Then I got a third, a last question. That okay. I, okay. I normally don't ask everybody. Okay. But I have a feeling and I don't know if I'm right, but we'll see in a second. Okay. Um, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big faith guy. I'm, I'm, Me too. I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and savior. I fail, even though I fail him every day. But um, my question is, like I said, I didn't know if you were a person of faith, but um, if there's somebody out there right now that's listening to this, you know, mm-hmm. they say that, you know, if you don't feel close to God, you know, you're the one that moved. Mm-hmm. So um, and how would if somebody is struggling with their faith, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start getting closer back, back to him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a person of faith as well. Um, I am a big Jesus fan. I think he's just such a radically amazing guy. Learn. I just, yes. Um, I think when people feel alone, it's usually because like they are, and, and not that God is because he hasn't gone anywhere. Right. It's just our perception of him and so one of the questions I would ask myself, because I'm a big question fan, this is something I do with my clients a lot. They always are like, oh, that's such a great question, is what is preventing me? What's that obstacle? What's in that way of me accessing God? Like, what is stopping me? Is it my own? What, what is it an insecurity? Is it a doubt? Is it fear? Is it depression? Right? Like, is it a mental um, health issue that's really preventing me. I like to think of it. I'm a, I'm a visual person. And so I like to think of it like I'm driving down the road. Right. And like, I get to this, I don't know, intersection or whatever. And all of a sudden there's this huge boulder in the way. And it's like, Oh God, I can't see you anymore. Right. But he's there on the other side. I just can't see him. And so that boulder doesn't stop me from experiencing God's love. It just makes me feel lonely or it causes me to feel distant from him. And so being able to ask, okay, what is that boulder that can always be moved, right? Jesus tells us like, 
that we have the power to tell that mountain to move and it'll move. And so being able to um, know what is preventing us from experiencing God's love or just feeling in his presence or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think those are self-imposed and a lot of it has to do with just believing that we're not worthy, we're not lovable and we're not enough. I love it. So guys definitely check, you know, if you're, if, if you're struggling, like uh, I I've been in the past and I don't want to be, I want to divorce proof my marriage. Definitely uh, book a complimentary discovery call at steppingstonescoaching.net schedule appointment. Check out, check out her writings, check her out on LinkedIn. Um, if you, if this is, have, has affected you um, guys, please leave a comment. Uh, when I post this, tag somebody that might need this because you might be able to save someone's marriage just mm-hmm. by tagging them in this post. Courtney, I want to thank you for coming on. I'm thank so you. Grateful. This will go out in a couple weeks and okay. out on like 10 different platforms. It'll go on oh. YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Tumblr, blah, blah, blah. Awesome. Wow. That's so, that's amazing. So I just want to say thank you and thank have you. an amazing week. Thank you. You too, Richard. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. All right. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, if you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out, hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass-kicking coffee and and it will it will get you moving in the morning. So guys, if you're interested, go to www.richardkaufman.net. Check us out, leave us a note, tell us what you'd like and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built. So if you guys want to Our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.